Good to be here with you all. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians as we continue in the book of Ephesians. We're in verse 15. We're glad to have you all here. Welcome. Let's, let's come before the Lord in prayer and pray for our time in his word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we could come and sing songs of praise to you, study your word, spend time with you in prayer, joyfully give as an act of worship, and, and, and find ourselves meeting with you, being ministered to through you, being ministered to through one another as well. Lord, you know us all together. You know everything about us. You know everything that's going through our minds right now, everything in our hearts, every part of our lives, Lord, every struggle, every joy. You know it all together. You know our weaknesses. And you know ways in which you've strengthened us. We pray that that on this morning, Lord, that you would, through your holy word, um, cause us to look into it like a mirror and see areas, Lord, where you desire change in us and that that would take place this morning. May we not be the same. May we grow as we spend time being ministered to by you, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 1, 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's the primary area that we are going to look at this morning. Here's the Apostle Paul writing to this particular church. But it's applicable to to all churches. It's applicable to our church this morning. He's writing from prison, and he hasn't seen them for some years now. And, and so as he hears about this church, he says, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. I hear of your faith. It's a genuine faith. It's not just a faith, but it's a faith in the Lord Jesus. You know he is Lord. You know he is sovereign. You know he's in control. And I've heard of your faith, your trust, your dependence upon Christ. Your trust is in the work of Christ upon the cross. His death and his resurrection, a righteousness that can only come through faith in Christ. I've heard of it. And I've heard of your, your love for all the saints. I hear of, of your love for one another. I pray that, that that's how we would be. That we'd grow in that area. That, that Steve and Debbie, a couple years from now, and Sarah, when they hear of what is taking place here, it would be, you guys, your faith is genuine in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you love one another. You genuinely love one another. The people who are here, the people in our midst, the saints who are here, the saints that are not a part of our church, the saints that are abroad as well, but specifically the family of Christ that's here, There ought to be a a real and genuine love for one another. You care for each other. You see each other and and, and there's a, a, a heartfelt love for each other. Not just, oh yeah, they go to our church too. But when one member rejoices, we rejoice with them. When one member hurts, we hurt with them. We pray for one another. 
care for one another. We desire fellowship with one another. There's a genuine love for one another. And I know that, that it is possible for us, because it's possible for me too. There's possible just to put up walls, right? Put up walls in our lives to make it so that we really don't let a whole lot of people in. I, I served at a church for, um, well, I went to a church for 12 years, served teaching the youth ministry and college ministry for several of those years. And I, I, I talked to the senior pastor twice. Just his desire to protect himself made it so that you, you had virtually zero access to him at all. And I, I think of that and I think, well, you're safe, but you miss out on so much as far as the way the body loves us as a family, as well as me being able to know you and love you too and, and, and have that kind of fellowship. But I think it goes beyond that to, to where it's for one another as well. Of, of you knowing each other and caring for each other and letting guards down so that, that people can be blessed by you and you can be blessed by other people. It takes effort to make that happen. But I, I pray that that would be an area that we grow in as a church. I know that culture has a huge impact on, on the church. I, I don't know most of my neighbors. I know a few of them. But on our little street, I think I know maybe three neighbors' names, four neighbors' names. Because that's a part of our culture. We drive in, we go home, we pick our kids' friends. Like We, we, we do. We do. Um, but it's, it's, it's something where we, this is a part of our culture. But it's easy to let that come into the church as well, to where the culture influences the church rather than the church influencing the culture. We, we are not to be a church that is determined by what our culture says is right and wrong, both morally and practically. We're to be a church that thinks biblically, care for one another, hold up each other's arms, sharpen each other, edify each other. We desire to be a blessing to one another. We try to love each other the same way that we would want to be loved. Pray for each other the way that we'd want to be prayed for. And I know that that would take a change in thinking in a lot of people for that to, to happen. There's been people that have said as they've left our church, I just didn't feel like I fit in at all. And yet, I'll think like, what did you ever come to? Did you ever come to a men's study? Did you ever show up on a retreat? Did you ever serve in any way? Did you ever come to Fellowship Fridays? Did you ever join a community group? Did you ever try to spend time with people? Because I guarantee you there's other people here that feel the same way. They feel the same way. But part of it is our culture, and part of it is your personality, and part of it is being a place of letting your guard down. Sean Bullis, who did the, the announcements to start out with, for both of you guys who are here, um, <laughs> leads our youth ministry and, and I remember years ago years ago when we were at the high school he just said like can I be a part of the, the greeters ministry and I was like yeah not the person I thought would be wanting to be a part of the greeters ministry and, and, and he just said yeah I just like I, I have a real hard time like wanting to like meet people so I just prayed about, like, I figured, like, if you put me in, in the greeters ministry, I have no choice. Got to greet people when they come in, say hi to everybody. But it, it, it was something where it was outside of his comfort zone. So that God would do a work, and now he's leading our youth ministry. It's a blessing to see the growth that's there, but sometimes it's going out of your comfort zone to get to that place. Um, it would take that for someone to look upon our church and say, I hear about your love for all the saints. There's a love that's there between everybody. It's real and it's genuine. 
In 1 John 3.14, it says, We know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. A part of being a Christian, a part of having passed from death to life is that we love, we love the brethren. We love the believers who are here. He says, I don't, I don't cease to give thanks for you. I don't cease to be in my prison cell giving thanks for the church. I just pray and give thanks for you and it's constant. Making mention of you in my prayers. I pray for you. It's interesting because we know about the church of Ephesus um, from this particular letter, what he sees taking place within the church, the way that he prays for the church, and we'll be looking at that over the next couple of weeks. But I want you to, to, to note that within the next couple of decades after that, something took place within the church. Um, in the book of Revelation in chapter 2, you have the angel writing to the church of Ephesus. And, and as the angel writes to this church, this is what it says. This is, this is what they say about the church. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He says, I know your works. I know them. See what you guys are doing. I know your works. I see your labor. I see your patience. And I see that you cannot bear those who are evil. You're, you're working, you're serving, you're laboring. You, you have patience and you, you cannot bear those who are evil. It's just, there's a desire for holiness, godliness. You've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and you found them liars. Good theologians. You're good theologians. You know what's biblical. You know what's not biblical. You've persevered, and you have patience, and have labored for my namesake, and you've not become weary. You just keep going. You keep serving. You keep doing these things. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. I mean, if, if you take the whole first part of what he says to the church of Ephesus, it looks pretty good, right? This is a church that's just like, you crank. That's got, you got ministries going all over the place. There's things taking place all over the place. You serve in all kinds of ways. It's awesome to see what's taking place there. You're good theologians. You can't bear those who do evil. You, you, a lot of good things about this church. However, I have this against you. You have left your first love. There is something that took place within you that made it so that you do not love Christ the way you once did. You're still doing all of the doing. You're still solid doctrinally. But there's something missing. And God says, and I see right through it. I see your hearts. And you have left your first love. You don't love me the way that you once did. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. And repent. Repent. And do the first works, or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I pray that this would be just an incredible eye-opening thing for us if that pertains to you or to I. If we look at our church and think, like, so doctrinally right, 
youth ministry, going on a retreat, homeless ministry, awesome, missions, Africa or Myanmar or you, wherever it is, women's ministry going on, men's ministry going on, children's ministry, kids being faithfully taught, going through the scripture in a great way. We want our kids to know God's word. And we look at all that that's taking place with every other ministry that occurs at the church. Tap with his hands, making quilts to be a blessing to people who are hurting. If we're doing all of these things, but we don't love him the way that we ought to or first did, repent. It's not good enough to just be at a place of, we look really good. If we are not in love with him, in love with him. He goes from there and says that I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is what I wanted to spend the most time on this morning, is that he's praying specifically that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He wants us to have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, to know him. To know him. Now, there is nothing that will humble us more and magnify Christ more than coming to know God in a biblical and real manner. Nothing. The Lord gives us an incredible amount of information in Scripture of who he is. Knowledge of his characteristics and his attributes. But the desire of the Lord is not simply that we would know about him, but that we would know him in a personal way. The way we do this is to take all that we know and all that we learn of God and how the Holy Spirit um, works is he takes these things and turns these facts into kindling in our hearts that are to be used by God for us to see him and to know him and to love him and to worship him in a way that goes from factual knowledge about God to passionate worship, worshipful knowledge of God and that ignites our hearts to adore him, to seek him and to long for him and to desire to live for him. It's beyond facts to where it changes us. Harry Ironside, famous preacher, was talking about meeting this very godly man early in his ministry. The man was dying of tuberculosis, and Ironside went to visit him. The man's name was Andrew Fraser, And the guy could barely speak above a whisper. His lungs were just about gone. And, and so he said, young man, in his whisper, young man, you're, you're trying to preach Christ, are you not? And Ironside said, yes, I am. Well, this, this man who's dying says, sit down for a little and let us talk together about the word of God. And we're told he opened his Bible. And until his strength was gone, he opened up one passage after another teaching truths that Ironside at that time had never seen or appreciated. Before long, tears were running down Ironside's cheeks. And he asked, Ironside asked him, where did you get these things? Can you tell me where I could find a book that will open them up to me? Did you get them in seminary or or college? And Fraser replied this, my dear young man, I learned these things on my knees on the mud floor of a little sod cottage in the north of Ireland. There with my open Bible before me, 
I used to kneel for hours at a time and ask the Spirit of God to reveal Christ to my soul and to open the Word to my heart. And He taught me more on my knees on that mud floor than I ever could have learned in all the seminaries or colleges in the world. There's something that happened to that man on that mud floor on his knees. He came to know the God of the Bible. It wasn't just knowledge. It wasn't just facts. It wasn't just head knowledge. It wasn't good theology alone. He came to know his God. J.I. Packer in his famous book called Knowing God, he says, here's, here's four evidences that someone knows God. The first is, those who know God have great energy for God. I mean, if you know him, you have great energy for him. He, your knowledge of him fuels you. Daniel 11.32 says, The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. People who know their God will stand firm and they will take action. They have an incredible amount of energy for God. Those who know God, number two, have great thoughts of God. The people who know their God have great thoughts about Him. It's not, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. No, I know Jesus is God and he's the son of God and there's a triune God and we're saved by faith alone. And God's at all places at all times and he knows all things. He's all powerful. Where do you rattle off facts about him? You have great thoughts about him. That makes you sing songs like how great thou art in a way where it's just like, he is that great. There's praise that, that, that comes forth with just great thoughts of who God is. Number three, those who know God shall show great boldness for God. Right? Those who know their God show great boldness for God. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Right? Great thoughts towards God. Great boldness towards God. For God. Daniel. And the list goes on and on. Those who have great thoughts of God also show great boldness for God. And number four, those who know God have great contentment in God. Great contentment in Him. See, when, when you know him, and you know, you know more than simply he is sovereign and he's good and, and he works all things together for good and he's always with me and he loves me. It, it goes beyond that to, he's sovereign over this. Trust him. He, he wouldn't have this come my way if it wasn't for my good. He's, he's not someone who's going to give me a serpent or a stone. He, he's someone who's going to bless me. He's molding me. He's shaping me into his image. And I trust him. And I know that he will work this together for good in my life. I know he'll do that. I know that... that he had me marry this person for a reason and he has me in this place for a reason and he has our family in this situation for a reason and I know that these things have happened because I, I know him and I trust him. Just trust him. Our little Emily is 10 months old. Got the nod from my wife. And she's getting to that age where she doesn't want to be held by some of you people. <laughs> a few months ago, she'd just go to anybody. She'd go to anybody. 
smile and you're like, she's the sweetest little thing. If you hold her and she sees me, she's not happy anymore. She wants her daddy. And so I'll hold her. I'll take her. And she'll stop crying. She's happy because she knows me. She's familiar with me. She sees me every day. But if I'm holding her and she's happy because she knows me and she loves me, and mommy walks in the room, <laughs> I'm chopped liver. She'll scream, ah, like whatever it takes to get to mommy. Because she knows mommy. She loves mommy. She's safe with mommy. Mommy's got a nicer voice than daddy, and she's sweeter than daddy, and she's just like, just whatever it takes to get to mommy. There's a knowledge that comes with truly knowing God that makes it so that we feel so safe with him, right? A contentment that is there. This knowledge of God is so important for us. In Jeremiah chapter 9, these are passages I'm just reading for you, and we're going to look more deeply at some of the things in a minute but that are in your handout. But in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23, the Lord says this, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, and let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That I'm the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. If you're going to glory in something, glory that you know me, God says. You know me. You have that relationship with me. You know me. In Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, it tells us that God says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. I desire that you know me more than burnt offerings. You have the Apostle Paul where in the familiar passage in Philippians 3, 7, where he says, But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, and that I may know him. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, everything is rubbish, it's trash, refuse. Everything is that in comparison to the excellency of knowing Christ. I care more about knowing him than anything else. To know him. You may not be able to say something like that. If what you care more about and where your mind turns and goes is finance, stuff, things to be stressed about, things to be angry about. The next thing you want to get. And why is my problem like this? And why do they have it like that? And, and all these things go through your mind. Um, you're missing something. I'm missing something. If Paul says, that stuff is rubbish in comparison to just knowing him. Just knowing him. Now in 1648, if you want to look at your handouts there, There's a group of people who got together and put together a, a catechism as far as this is what we believe, called the Westminster Larger Catechism. And the question that came up as far as what is God? As far as what is God? How do we define God? What do we think about God? If we're going to know Him, We need to know about him. What is God? And theologians such as Hodge and and others have said, this is probably the best definition ever penned by humans of 
who God is. And so let's read it together. God is a spirit in and of himself, infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection. All sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. It's a great definition, isn't it? Biblically, it encompasses so many aspects of who God is. He's spirit, meaning that he has no material body. He's pure spirit, and as a result, we're to flee idolatry and flee ever making anything material as an object of worship because God is a spirit. In and of himself, infinite in being and glory and blessedness and infinite perfection. And there's verses that go with each one of these things that are laid out there for you. Um, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Job in Job eleven seven it says, can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They're higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than shield, what can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. We know that he is, is one who is infinite in being and glory and blessedness. Perfection. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. We see him to be all sufficient, he's eternal unchangeable, eternal, Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from ever, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It's unchangeable, Malachi 3, 6, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Incomprehensible, 1 Kings eight twenty seven. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I've built? And so we look at these various definitions of who God is. But let's just stop there for a moment. You can you can memorize this. And know it. Um, when Tasha and I first got married, we went on a camping trip. And I don't know how well you know Tasha, but like she is way smarter than I am. Way, like way smarter than I am. <laughs> she asked me what math class I finished up with in high school. And I, I won't tell you what it is, but I felt like it, I was kind of proud. And she's like, oh, that's good. And I said, when did you take that t- class? And she's like, I, I tested out of it before my freshman year. So that's what we're dealing with. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> and that's why she's a CPA and I'm not. But the Westminster Confession, I, I, I took it, the, the, you know, 1648, Old English, right? I'm like, so you really can memorize things super fast, honey? She's like, yeah. Like super humble. Yeah. Okay, memorize these pages of the Westminster Confession. Gotcha. See how you do with that. Okay, just give me a few minutes. (laughs) We're camping up in my camper, and I know this. I've read it. I've studied it. Word for word, like pages, word for word. And I'm like, you are a freak of nature. Like, <laughs> I could do this. I could read it for like next year and not do what you just did in minutes. But you can memorize this. 
like my wife. Maybe it might take you a little bit longer. But the question is, 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 is this just facts that are in your mind? Or does it change you? Did, do you just, have you just learned facts about him? Or does it change the way that you are? The way that you pray? The way that you think? Because my prayer for us as a congregation, brothers and sisters, is that we wouldn't just know facts about him, but that God would put it within us this year to come to know him far better than we did last year. Turn with me to Psalm 145. And, And I want us to read this because you get the idea from the psalmist that it's not just facts that he knows about the character of our God or how to define him, but it, it changed him. It affected him. It made him sing different or pray different or speak different or think differently. It had an impact on him. Look at Psalm 145 in verse 1. A praise of, a praise of David. I will extol you. My God, O King, I will bless your name forever and ever. Right? Do you get the idea that it's impacted him? I'll worship you. I'll extol you. I'll bless your name forever and ever. Like forever, as long as I exist, there is going to be praise that goes forth from my mouth, blessings that come forth from me towards you. Every day I will bless you. I'll praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I'll meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts And I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you. And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He he also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord And all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. Now, we just read a whole lot about this is who God is, right? His righteousness, his power, his sovereignty over all things. But there's a difference between these are facts that we know about God, and I could give a good answer to a catechism as far as answering that question. Or if you ask me, who's God to you? You can give a good answer. How do you save? You can give a good answer. How did God create things? Give a good answer. Theology's good. Your doctrine's good. Your memory's good. Got good verses. You can give good advice. You even maybe live a good life. There's desire for godliness and holiness within your life. Maybe you can even preach a good sermon. But it is possible for you to do all those things and not know him very well. Your godliness is just you know how to keep the rules. You know him well. Doctrine, good. People are impressed by you. You give good answers. You could do all of those things and not say things from your heart like, every day I'll bless you. I'll meditate on your glorious, on the glorious splendor of your majesty. 
and on your wondrous works. I will just have these things roll through my mind over and over and over again. And then the result is praise and adoration towards you. Trusting you, contentment in you, great thoughts about you, boldness to serve you. It affects me because I know him. There is a relationship with him. That's my prayer for us. Not to just be those who have good doctrine and lots of stuff going on here at the church. And you labor hard and you don't get weary and you do all the stuff that you're supposed to do. But God, please help us as a church to know him and respond in a way there's great energy for him and thoughts towards him and boldness to serve him and contentment in him along with the theology that that theology comes with having not lost our first love. But still loving him like we're called to love him. Amen? This is his desire for us as a church and he will enable us to get there. He will do the work so that all the glory goes to him. If you're being affected this morning, it's not because I studied so hard or put together a good sermon. It's just not. I know that. I'm well aware of that. Because I guarantee you there could be people here that are just like, I can't wait for the guy to stop talking. The only way that that happens in your heart is God Almighty causes his word to act like a mirror and you look at it and you don't like what you see. And you don't forget about it. But the Holy Spirit works in your heart to sing songs differently, to read passages differently, to pray differently, to think differently, to worry differently. All of these things will change because you know him. It's not just head knowledge, it's not just facts, but it's a knowledge that makes you say things like the psalmist, oh God, you are my God, early will I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you, like in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you, thus will I bless you while I live. I'll lift up my hands to your name. That, that guy gets it. He knows him. He wants him more than anything because he knows his God. Paul's praying that God's people would know him like that. Wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him that would lead to them not losing their first love. But he, him being the center of all that they do. That they're not just good at loving each other or good doctrine or knowing evil or whatever it is. But that they would love him and adore him. And he would be central to everything that takes place. Let's look at one more passage that deals with this in Psalm 139. But it, it's in your handout, but can you turn to it in your Bibles? Because I want to look at some passages that go beyond that. Psalm 139. It's talking about our ever-present God. But look at the way that he says it. I think he knows him well. He says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You know, you understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a, a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge, it's too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. 
Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed me in my inward parts, and you covered me in my mother's womb. Okay, that gives us a whole lot of information about God, right? You feel like he knows you? He knows when you sit down. He knows when you rise up. He knows your thoughts even before you thought them. So if you think you can hide it, you can't because he knew it before it even got into your brain. He formed you. He knows everything about you. He doesn't make mistakes. He's sovereign over every area of your life. There's nothing that's happened to you that didn't happen to you separate than his fatherly hand, his providence, being able to be in control of these things. He knows everything. There's nothing that's mystery to him. So how does the psalmist respond? Verse 14, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. Sovereign? Yeah. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred and count them my enemies. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Here's the psalmist writing these things about the greatness of God and then it just comes to a place of, I'll praise you. I love that you think of me all the time. How great are your thoughts towards me? But there comes this place where it's just, okay, so now God, just search me. Look at me, search me and know my heart, try me. Know my anxious thoughts or know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And then, Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. Change me. Look at my heart, see what there is, and then see where the wickedness is, and then lead me towards righteousness. Lead me to please you. This is someone who not only understands the greatness of our God, but he knows him. And he says, Lord, change me. You got to do this. Change me. Look at my heart. There's areas of wickedness there that I don't even know exist. See where they're at. Kill it, please. And lead me in the way everlasting. There is praise that's here. There's great thoughts that's here. But this is someone who knows his God. He knows his God. When Paul prayed for this church, he wanted them to know God like that. And for Reverence Bible Church, can you join me in praying right now that we would know him, not just about him, but that we would know him and it would affect us. Let's pray together. Lord God, Help Scripture not to go into our brains and leave just as facts. Help thoughts of you not to end with just good theology. Help us to know you. 
to know about you and to know you. Help that knowledge of you to just cause us to to worship you with everything that's inside of us. Help that knowledge of you, of who you are, knowing you personally, to cause us to have joy even in the midst of trials. Help that knowledge of you to make it so that we are content and that we trust you. I pray that that knowledge of you would make the things of this earth grow strangely dim. I pray that knowledge of you would make it so that we just want to tell people about you. We want to support missionaries telling people about you. We want to not be consumed with stuff, things, material possessions, fame, pride, the way we look, or any such things. Help us to count those things as rubbish in comparison to the excellency of knowing you, of knowing you. Help it to affect everything, our priorities in this life. May it give us energy and that we just can't wait to serve the God who we know. May it cause praise. May it give us boldness. And may it give us contentment in you as we come to know you. And Lord, you know us all together. You know the person who's sitting here and saying, I've, lost, I've, I've left my first love. Oh, how sweet are your mercies towards us. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Your mercies are new every morning. And on this morning, you, our Heavenly Father, will run unto us. Take us in your arms. Kill the fatted calf. Bring out the robe, the ring, the sandals. Lord, enable us to repent and to love you, to love you. To sing praises unto you, to meditate upon you forever and ever. Help us to love one another in a biblical way, in a godly way, in the way that you've called us to. And I pray, as a result, we would have so much more joy and we'd be so much stronger in you and that we would shine that much brighter, Lord, in this fallen world. Cause that to happen. We depend upon you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.